Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 177. I'm your host, Chris Webster. My co-host, Paul Zimmerman, is gallivanting around Iraq and won't be on this week. Today, I talked to a researcher in archaeology and robotics about how robotics really is the future of archaeology. Let's get to it. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Paul is not joining me today because he is still in Iraq as I'm recording this. I think he'll be back next week as I'm recording this, so he'll probably be on the recording two weeks from now. So our next episode, hopefully, because we do have another couple interviews coming up and I'm really excited to talk to him about his research methodologies and, and how things went in his fieldwork project in Iraq. In the meantime, we have an interview with a gentleman doing research in archaeology and robotics and artificial intelligence and all kinds of stuff, as I mentioned in the introduction. So, and I'm going to butcher your name, even though you just told me again, but Daniel Caravaggio, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And thank you for having on on your show. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. So you are ca- talking to us from Lisbon, Portugal, and you're currently doing a PhD in archaeology and prehistory with the Centro de Arqueológica de Universidad de Lisboa. Yes. We'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> <laughs> so first, let's talk about your background in archaeology. What has led you to where you're at right now seeking a PhD in archaeology and prehistory? Okay, thank you very much uh, about uh, the opportunity that you gave me. I love your podcast, so I wanted <laughs> to be part of it too. My journey to archaeology is um, is a little complex because I wanted to go in the first place to robotics, mm-hmm. and uh, in the <laughs> it all led to the same place, fortunately. And on my PhD, I got the opportunity to to make what I wanted to make from the beginning that it was a robot that could do archaeology. How I got here, um, it it, uh, it was through theory of archaeology. I began to study how processualism has impacted Portuguese archaeology on my bachelor degree. Uh, But then I shifted to another uh, period of time. Uh, I wanted to know about uh, cabinets of curiosities, and 18th century archaeological thought, if we can uh, say that it, uh, in that way. And then in my PhD, I thought to myself, okay, now it's the time to do what I really want to do. So I got to robotics and archaeology <laughs> and fused it with theory um, to produce a robot that could make archaeological theory. So that's really interesting and i'm wondering how you even propose that kind of a phd to a to an academic program so let me flip the question around again so i asked you how you came to archaeology well how did you 
how did you come to robotics and all that? Because there's very few archaeology departments out there. They're going to have a, a robotics department at the same time. So you must be working with either some other roboticists or some other robotics departments. But what about your own expertise? Are you looking to build this kind of thing or are you working with other people to construct something and, and work with these fields in order to use them in archaeology? I always work by myself. Uh, okay. I, I, on my, it was my hobby uh, uh, from since I remember. I'm nice. I'm doing robots, little robots, uh, <laughs> things that can move, uh, things that can move other things. Um, my interest now is is to elevate them to another plane, the plane of theory and artificial intelligence. So mm. I'm not currently working with roboticists. I'm fortunately, fortunately working with archaeologists with um, backgrounds that are similar to robotics, mm -hmm. computer science, statistics. Um, but uh, I'm building it on my on my own. The failures will be only mine. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's interesting to to an archaeologist to do the robot, uh, even if it's if, even if I'm not a roboticist, and I'm for sure aren't. Um, it's it's interesting for me to to fail and to invent something. Uh, I've always done it uh, in this way. I have done a lot of failures and prototypes, but uh, I think that is the way to create something new. So I'm comfortable with that. Mm. Did you seek out this program, the program that you're at? In um, I, I noticed there's a program in Lisbon and a program in Barcelona as well that you're affiliated with. Did you seek these out because of their connections with technology so it would help you do this? Or would, did you happen... Or is this just nearby and convenient and you're able to do what you want to do? Uh, I think both. Yeah. Uh, both can, can both uh, centers of archaeology give me uh, different uh, ways to produce uh, this kind of, of work. Um, mm -hmm. At Lisbon, I have people that uh, uh, help me a lot with archaeological theory, even if they are not many, because in Portugal, we still lack... Uh, a lot of uh, uh, research on archaeological theory, in my opinion. Um, and in Barcelona, we have um, a very good school of uh, uh, computer applications to archaeology. So I was fortunate enough to have been accepted in a program uh, where I could study the two ways that I thought were the best to achieve my goal. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. I like that. So let's talk a little about what, about what you're, what you're doing right now, then I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase this question in a way that, uh, you know, gets to like what, it, what the heart of what you're doing is right now. So you're working on a PhD. You're not probably, I mean, probably a byproduct is yes, we're looking at robots. We'll talk about exactly what form these robots take and what they will do, but yes, you're, you're trying to produce a, a body of work that produces a robot that quote does archaeology, but for your actual PhD, like what what kind of question are you trying to answer? Is it can robots be developed that can do archaeology, or is it something is it something different? I'm just trying to figure out what your your actual PhD topic is. Okay, that, that is an interesting question, and I have <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So that asks me that my main goal and uh, the main question of the PhD is can robots do archaeology? Okay. Um, but I'm sincerely thinking that I can, th that the answer is yes. So I'm moving from that to how can robots do archaeology? Mm -hmm. uh, fusing them, uh, the answer was to build an actual robot. By other words, only theory could not uh, build this PhD. I had to demonstrate uh, with an actual and physical robot that it, it could be possible to do mm -hmm. archaeology. This, this is very problematic because in the first, uh, the first task is to determine what is archaeology and uh, even human archaeologists <laughs> entirely sure of what it is <laughs> uh, but uh, even with the definition we have to think very uh, deeply on how we work and uh, in what we work and why we work it uh, and theory of archaeology enters here so okay. i'm building at the moment a kind of brain that could do basic tasks that we do. This is not entirely new in some fields. We have, for example, automatic typologies. Mm -hmm. We have potsherd fragments identification. But I wanted to go a step further, and I think this is why I, I, I'm able to do the program that I am currently on, is that not only to identify, not only to search, but to analyze by itself and then produce an argument. That is my goal. That is the, okay. the, the goal of the brain that I'm building, to produce some kind of theory, maybe not high tier theory, I'm thinking about uh, uh, maybe uh, argument construction, not theories, uh, uh, not very long theories or very complex theories, but maybe logical arguments. Mm -hmm. And even so, only that would uh, would be uh, fantastic to archaeology, yeah. in my opinion. It Indeed. would help us a lot. Okay, I've got a number of questions for you, but I think this is going to be, I'm going to do some shorter segments uh, for this podcast, just so our listeners are aware. And I mean, the reason is I'm trying to be respectful of, of your time. It's very late in the evening for you. <laughs> and, uh, but I think this is fantastic. And to be honest, I'd rather have a slightly shorter episode, get to the meat of what we're trying to do here. And then, you know, as you, I mean, I would love to follow this, to be honest. And as you go through your PhD research, have you, you know, come back on and say, hey, we found this out or, you know, you decided to do this. And it would just be really interesting to follow this journey. So let's take a break. And then on the other side, I've got some other questions about robots. Back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to episode 177 of the Architect Podcast. And as I mentioned, it's just me today. Paul is out strolling around in Iraq looking for fun and interesting archaeology. So again, we'll talk to him when he gets back about that. But we're here with Daniel talking about robotics and archaeology. And you mentioned in the in the last segment, Daniel, I mean, you had a, a hard time, which I totally understand, like just defining what archaeology means. So you can say, I want a robot to do archaeology. And man, we talk about that on the Archaeology Podcast Network and the CRM podcast all the time. Like what is what does archaeology actually mean? You know what I mean? Is it is it research? Is it digging? Is it walking around on the ground and looking at stuff? Is it writing reports? I mean, what is <laughs> that's a hard definition, but I was also wondering while you were saying that, how do you find how do you define robot? Right? Like because a robot could conceivably just be uh, an intelligent computer program that does things for you. What about drones? Are drones running on an automatic program that you set up for them? Or maybe even one that says, hey, I want this area surveyed. You figure out how to do it. Is that also a robot? Like in, in your – well, first, I, I want to hear you define robot in, for the purposes of your thesis. But then maybe also define robot for what you're trying to achieve. Because some people might be imagining, you know, a Cylon from Battlestar Galactica or something like that. You know, arms and legs and, and you know, just using a shovel to dig a hole. <laughs> so <laughs> so how did you define robot for this study? And, and how are you defining robot for – exactly what you're looking for okay um this is another complex question because <laughs> roboticists uh, probably have the, this problem too <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> uh, the meaning of robot is is not a pleasant one uh, it's it came from Ruhr, uh, a marvelous piece of literary work and it means um, uh, labor force work uh, forced work so <laughs> It's difficult to say what is a robot today because many mm -hmm. robots today lack a physical form uh, and that was uh, like a major definition in classical robotics that robotics is something that we can uh, induce a kind of function. Right. But uh, that something was material. But now we are on an entirely new dimension. We have robots that do not exist in our present life as objects. We have artificial intelligence. We have uh, drones that are a kind of hybrid because drones, and I'm glad you asked that, drones are the main uh, robot that we view today. And they are a hybrid. They have a physical body, mm -hmm. but they have a, a brain, a set of algorithms that we can program to do certain functions. They fly, they take photos, but they can identify objects too, so they have computer vision. So I think 
the most useful definition that we can have uh, of a robot concerning humanities and archaeology is a machine that can function with a set of instructions. Uh, okay. Uh, that set of instructions being made by a human mm -hmm. or mediated by a human because robots today can interact with other robots and program uh, another robot. And we see that all the time on the internet, the bots, pop-ups, the unfortunate, unfortunately the spam. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a difficult world. But I think the most useful uh, definition is it's that I, what I gave you. So, so on to the second half of that question, then how in the context of archaeology and your dissertation, what I guess what kind of robot are you thinking you want to, I don't know, I don't know if develop is the right word, but at least theorize for archaeology in the context of the work you're doing now. So in the first year, I thought that a simple robot, and by that I mean like a mannequin. Mm -hmm. I'm building. I'm building a robot named Talos uh, mm. of the Greek legend. He's not right. going to destroy anything, I hope, but uh, um, he is intended to be a, hum a humanoid robot, a robot about. Uh, uh, human height with uh, human uh, similarities and mm -hmm. it e exists on the physical world. That was my first and it is still my first objective. But uh, then I had a problem because how could it analyze text? Sure. Being only a physical form. Sure, I could put some components that enable him to do that. But the solution that I encountered was why make a robot uh, to do all the functions when you can make smaller robots that do a function, each one of them. So mm. I'm building Talos, but I'm building extensions of Talos as well. So I'm building drones. I'm building little cameras that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm calling them the eyes because they see like us and they are connected yeah. to a microcontroller that is like a tiny brain that has mm. a set of algorithms that say, hey, this is a prehistoric artifact. And I, I say to them, good. Uh, and this, this is a Roman artifact. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so I'm building smaller robots and fusing them together with the main uh, body. Okay. And uh, that uh, surprised me at first, but then I thought, okay, this is not very, uh, this is not uh, very different from us. We are archaeologists, but we have a lot of tasks to do, digging, uh, analyzing, uh, producing reports, uh, theorizing. So why not uh, build something that could do everything, but at smaller scale? And that's how I'm doing my PhD. 
building a, a little brick of the wall at the time. Well, that sounds that sounds really cool and and pretty interesting. I mean, when you were saying, well, first off, I feel like every roboticist in a fictional or science fiction circumstance that says, you know, I hope it doesn't destroy the world. But uh, sure. <laughs> the next thing you know, we have we have Skynet and Terminator. So, <laughs> so anyway, this is this is interesting because I I mean, there's so many different, I guess. I guess, tasks. And when you were talking about, you know, processors and, and, and having a more human, full-sized, human-sized robot as your first thought of doing this, obviously some of the problems that you run into are some of the things that you mentioned, right? Like the computing power required for something like that to become a human while we're getting closer and closer to having something like that on board, the power requirements and all that stuff is just, is just so high, right? In order to you know, get something to like that to function, say, out in the field or something in a good way. But I'm just kind of wondering from a theoretical standpoint, man, with, with cellular technology being almost everywhere and, you know, even even satellite technology getting getting a lot better. We just got Starlink satellite for our RV. We, my wife and I live in a, a recreational vehicle and travel around the country. And we got Starlink satellite. And the dish for that is actually pretty small, a lot smaller than I expected it to be. And I imagine that technology is just going to be getting smaller and smaller. And with those kind of speeds, are you, are you thinking about the robot's computing power and its functional and analytical power all being on board? Or are you offloading some of that to the internet? basically doing some offline processing or using, you know, banks of servers somewhere else, but the internet to the, the internet or cellular networks to communicate with those servers. I'm just wondering if it all has to be on board or is there a local server that these things would communicate with or something, something remote that they would communicate with? Okay. Um, both. I, I think okay. that, um, that uh, the main robot, um, it exists for that function, but another very important function uh, that is human interaction and human mm -hmm. communication. That's why he, he is an humanoid. But with right. the power that we have today and uh, the, the complex task here is not to build something that is capable of analyzing because that is uh, almost trivial today. Mm -hmm. The problem here is to make something that is a true tool and that brings more benefit uh, to archaeologists. Okay. But in all fields of archaeology, it's mm -hmm. very difficult to build a robot that functions on a lab and on the fieldwork at mm -hmm. the same time. Because that involves uh, motion, it involves uh, protection from weather, it right. evolves, involves something as simple as uh, solar energy. Mm -hmm. You can't have uh, simply a plug on the middle of the field. <laughs> um, the problem here is to make something that is so vast and hybrid as the past itself. And that is a humongous task. And I think it's very difficult to grasp even that. So I'm building what we are or what I think that we are m more capable now. But one thing that we may uh, work towards is um, virtual reality allied to all this. I think uh, it will have 
a major impact on archaeology and I, I really, really want to explore that dimension too uh, with right. my robot. I think we can make awesome simulations of the past and uh, even simulating fieldwork and um, probabilities and hypotheses and hypotheses, it's it's amazing. The world we, we live now, it's full of opportunities in terms of technology yeah. and uh, archaeology can't... Uh, we need to use it to, to our benefit. We can't just uh, close our, our eyes and think that uh, <laughs> the past is uh, inaccessible. Uh, we have a lot of tools today. Right. Well, you're speaking to the right audience regarding that, for sure. Uh, at least me, anyway. <laughs> and I know Paul Paul would love to be in this discussion, too. Uh, that's why we need to have you back on, because I, I have a feeling he would have a lot of questions for you <laughs> regarding some of the more technical aspects of this. But I've got a few more things to say about this, for sure, and some, some high-level questions to ask you moving forward. And we'll do that on the other side of the break in segment three. Back in a minute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Archaeotech podcast, our final segment. And we are talking about robotics and archaeology and daniel a couple of things that you said last segment really had me thinking here but i gotta backtrack and make sure make sure that we cover everything so we've talked about a number of things you know regarding the you know i guess shape and size and capabilities of certain robots but what specific tasks do you see early robots in this field actually doing right you know i'm thinking we have everything from like you mentioned lab work so there's analytical things that can be done in lab work there's there's just straight up digging and surveying and 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 all kinds of things we do in the field like what specific tasks do you see the first ones that a robot could possibly take over okay the first ones and i think that uh, it's being made today uh, it's artifact identification uh, sure. on the lab that's the main thing that uh, yeah. it's being uh, produced today. What I wanted to see more is structures on the field. I would like to see more drones utilizing uh, computer vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I have a drone surveying a site, I would like it to make assumptions of... Uh, how the terrain behaves, um, of what kind of chronological periods may be there, and Mm -hmm. what kind of structures he can be seeing from Mm. a different view of ours. 
I think that I want, I really wanted to to see more of that because that is not that hard. Everyone or almost everyone has a drone today, and yeah. uh, they are really, really cheap, uh, uh, and they are going to be even cheaper sh- uh, as time as time go on. And to to build the the component the components that. Uh, bring life to to a drone in terms of computer vision is is not that hard mm-hmm. it's it's going to be much cheaper than lidar for example oh yeah and may it doesn't produce the same results but we can make um, a lot of data with that it I, it would I be wanted, uh, yes yes uh, just on drones real quick, it would be really cool because, I, I mean, I've programmed drones and I think Paul's doing that right now in Iraq. But I've programmed drones to say, you know, look at a look at a certain, you know, area and then run this path across this area and then it just comes back. But all it's doing is taking pictures. It would be super cool if it could identify something while it's doing that and, and mark it as a target that it wants to go back to or stop in in, in the process and say, you know what, I think I'm going to slow down and take some better pictures of this thing and analyze it a little better and maybe even process the photogrammetric, you know, structure that it could build like on board and then make some assumptions, like you said, about, you know, hey, I think I think we might have something here. And I took a little extra data about it. So let's see what we think. But that that seems like we're so close to that, doesn't it? <laughs> we are already, already, already there. Yeah. We just need to teach it. That's the main thing we have. We have all uh, that we need in our hands. Mm-hmm. The the time that we need to learn these these things is not uh, is not a lot. Um, uh, almost uh, any archaeologist today knows about uh, photogrammetry. If even mm-hmm. if uh, somebody can't transform some data into photogrammetry, uh, we can understand it. And with drones, is even simpler. It's just thinking uh, about this question. How mm-hmm. can I tell to someone, someone being a drone in this case, right. to identify a certain thing? This is a task that archaeologists do all the time. And we need to communicate that not only to humans, but to robots and to right. tools like drones so they can help us build more complex theories about the past. I think right. that is the most useful thing that we can do regards technology in archaeology. It's to teach it to help us make better assumptions about the past and archaeology. Okay, I've got a question about that that I'll save towards the end, but I want to step back one more time to something else you said in segment two, because I couldn't let this go. You mentioned talking about virtual reality and how you know we need to incorporate more virtual reality. And you did say some things that, that I have thought about before as well, and I know others as, as well too, using virtual reality to not only like train and and, and being able to see and interact with data, 
and and sites and and you know things in a different way that's non-destructive because it is virtual reality and if we can replicate it there then we can do things that we wouldn't be able to do in real life but what about like a virtual reality i mean maybe i've seen the matrix too many times but like <laughs> a virtual reality control of the field robots you know what i mean like you're 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 seeing you're, you're, you're kind of seeing through their eyes, but their eyes are building a world around you and you're, you're wearing a headset and you're sitting in the comforts of your, your safe, comfortable office where you don't have the dangers sometimes of weather and being in the field and, and other things that can happen. I, I've worked, I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I worked on a Navy base in California where there were unexploded ordnance and bombs and missiles all over the place and rattlesnakes and all kinds of things. And, you know, I mean, we want to do the archaeology, but we want to be safe while we're doing it. So this is a really good way to do that. But have you, is there talk in this field about using virtual or augmented reality to actually control? And I, I don't know if they'd even be robots at that point, because if you're driving them, then they're just vehicles, right? But yeah. it's some sort of combination. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, we don't need virtual reality to do that. We can do it uh, without it, but I think it's it's best to build an entire environment mm -hmm. to to because uh, to archaeologist context it's uh, basilar to what uh, to everything that we do. So I think to have uh, something that can build an environment at the same time that is excavating, digging, uh, recording, mm. it's uh, going to be phenomenal. Yeah. If it is still a robot, I think yes, because w w we need to think about this as, um, again, an hybrid, because it's not an autonomous ve vehicle. Uh, it can be in some tasks, but we don't want to... to erase the human factor here uh, on the contrary we want to emphasize it so to have for example in subaquatic archaeology an autonomous vehicle that can dive to a certain depth and then mm -hmm. we enter on what the on what the uh, the robot is doing and we can manipulate it and receive data from him, we, we are at that moment now. Uh, we have the technology to do it, <laughs> like right. a famous right. film says. <laughs> we have the technology to, to make all of these things happen. I think we just need a little more capacity on our side to understand that technology is not a menace to archaeology in terms of it destroying jobs, for example, or reducing mm -hmm. archaeologists to uh, mere observers of robots. I think the other way around, I think technology can elevate us truly. And I think if we can automate some of the tasks that we do, we can bring so much more to the table in scientific terms and discoveries and theories by working with robots and technology in general. So yeah, virtual reality is, can be used that way, can be used in countless other ways. We can dig the same site hundreds of times 
and yeah. that for me is really really interesting how we can make uh, different uh, theories about the same site, about the same data that is never destroyed. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that kind of experience needs to be made more often, I think. Yeah, I think uh, something that, that made me think of was, you know, when we're often doing an excavation, the only photographs we will often take in normal practice is maybe a, the first photograph of a level before we start taking it in a, in say a one meter by one meter square or something. And then we'll take a, a photograph of the last when we get down 10 centimeters or, or whatever that is. And we might take a photograph of a profile or a picture if we find that. But if we were able to have, you know, something recording everything as we go down. And if a robot were doing this excavation, it would be able to, you know, record as it's doing this sort of thing, everything that's happening. Then we could bring that into something like virtual reality and we could kind of replay the excavation from either a training standpoint, you know, having students replay the excavation. So we know exactly where everything is and they can just excavate mm -hmm. virtually. And, or, or even from a, a standpoint of maybe we missed something the first time around. You know what I mean? That that might be found later on. Maybe we, we should have excavated something in one way, but we did it in another way and, and we just missed something. So I think that's I think that's really cool. And you you alluded to something that I was gonna bring up as one of my last questions, but I kinda wanna talk about it a little more. What do you actually say to people, especially archaeologists, that say robots are gonna take our jobs? Because I, I personally understand that they would be an augmentation to what we're doing. They would free us up to do the, the more analytical, the more scientific tasks and kind of take a little bit of the mundane work away from it, which is admittedly some people just like that kind of work. But as scientists, I feel like it would allow us to be better scientists. But what, what kind of arguments do you make for people that say, you know, hey, you're just you're just taking our jobs and giving them to robots? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the first argument is simple and it's a very crude one. Um, financially, it's not viable to substitute archaeologists uh, for robots. And okay. the cost of a robot is too high mm. for uh, a human. In other areas, we are seeing uh, that uh, humans are being replaced, but that is specific to to the conditions and to the functions mm. that are being augmented and being made better uh, for example in where air warehouses we we don't need humans anymore because we have little robots that go to precise places that don't sleep that do not need to rebel <laughs> for better work <laughs> conditions. And some jobs are disappearing and some jobs have already disappeared. But that depends greatly on what the jobs do and what the jobs produce. We archaeologists produce a kind of knowledge that financially is not very appellative to big uh, big corporations big uh, data big uh, governmental issues in terms of finance i say it again not in terms of uh, heritage because what we do is of paramount importance in my view uh, in 
heritage, in memory, in engaging mm -hmm. with communities about their identity, their past. But financially, it's not that great of a deal. The second argument that I always make is that this is not a debate of replacement. This is a debate to make better tools. The microscope did not replace any scientist. It only opened the door to more science. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to fear scientific developments on technology that <laughs> goes even further helping science. I think it's a paradox. Why should we <laughs> fear that kind of technology if we can do better science and understand better the world we live in? I, I, don't, think it, I don't think it makes sense. Um, but I do understand the fear. I don't want to replace archaeologists. Yeah. I truly want to help them to be a better version of what we are now. I think the way can only be that. I want the robots that I make to be tools and to help everyone that needs it. Um, and you, you asked me on the other segment, I want these robots or these databases to be accessible uh, for everyone. Maybe right. the physical robots won't be because they are prototypes, and uh, but the um, the databases must be free to everyone sure. because it it doesn't make sense to build something in my view that helps discovery if common archaeologists can't use it. We can't simply make it so a tool that only certain people can utilize. We need to make it open for everyone so that everyone can share their opinion and engage with the research of everyone else. I, I think of it as a connected world, a truly connected world, and robots mm. can help us build it. Well said. I've been thinking about some of this stuff for a while now, and that is, I mean, that is right in line. And I think, um, I think you've got it spot on how the, the Microsoft didn't, microscope didn't replace the scientists. It just made better scientists. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think with archeological data, there's constant conversations about how we have so much data that's already been collected, right? So while we have to go out and do field projects, I'm a CRM archeologist in the United States, of course, and, well, we have to go out and do field projects because there's development and there's things that is prompting these these digs. It's just adding to this data set that we already haven't fully and adequately analyzed. So if we can if we can either use robots to either A, do the do the field work and, and collect the data while we're doing more analysis and, and, and really doing the theorizing and the writing of reports and things like that, or you know, at the same time, having more analysis that's able to be done on these archive collections that we have that really haven't been thoroughly studied. Either way, the assistance would be useful. Having having assistance in that area from a from a tireless, you know, workforce that is hyper intelligent and can do things and and can do it without you know questioning or complaint would be 
phenomenal uh, to aid in the science and to just better what we can do and, and increase what we can do. So 100% on board with this. Well, Daniel, thanks for coming on. And I hope that we can certainly talk to you as your research develops and, you know, new things come out and, and you want to come back on the show and talk about them. Hey, if there's if there's something you read, you go to a conference about new developments in, in robotics and AI and stuff that you can think and have uh, help archaeology, send us an email and and come on the show and let's talk about it. We love we love just having the conversation about these kind of things. And I think our sure. audiences like it as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Well, with that, thank you, Daniel. And we will be back next time, hopefully with Paul this time, if he's recovered from his five weeks in, uh, in Iraq. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to the Architect Podcast. Links to items mentioned on the show are in the show notes at www.arcpodnet.com slash Archaeotech. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com and paul at lugal.com. Support the show by becoming a member at arcpodnet.com slash members. The music is a song called Off-Road and is license-free from Apple. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Come.